wonderful. Good morning to you all. Uh, my name's Jim. Uh, I'm the vicar here, and a, a really warm uh, welcome to you. It's good to have you with us this morning. Um, you might have heard uh, Vicky at the start of the service mention uh, the Salt House. For those of you who have not been with us a little while, if this is your first time with us, we're hopefully uh, all being well. Just here for another uh, four or five Sundays before we move over to a, a new building we're having renovated just over the road there, which we're calling uh, the Salt House, and we're going to be having our opening service there on Easter Day. Uh, and we're getting ready to move in there, and I was over there this week seeing uh, all the progress, and uh, as I was looking uh, at the walls that have come down physically over the last few months as the contractors have been in there. I was also reflecting a bit on the other kind of walls that have come down over the last couple of years. Not physical walls, uh, but other obstacles and barriers that even over the last few months, but certainly over the last couple of years, have seemed to be obstacles and barriers that were in the way. And it then reminded me uh, a bit of when uh, Vicky and I were doing up our first house together, a small two-bedroom terrace, and in the kitchen, which was out the back of the house, there was a small larder that, um, to be quite frank, needed to go. It was in the way. It went from floor uh, to ceiling, and we needed that wall out because of the way that we were designing the kitchen. Uh, my dad, he, he was helping me. He was quite handy, and he'd, he'd nipped out to B&Q to grab something, uh, or I can't remember what now, but he cautioned me to wait until he got back and then we could have a go at the wall together. Well, in, in my enthusiasm of youth, I couldn't be bothered to wait around for my dad to get back. This wall had to come down, and it had to come down now. Uh, despite me never being very good at the laws of physics, don't understand it, despite me not knowing at the time about something called supporting walls, I, I merrily started wielding the sledgehammer. Uh, the wall was coming down a treat. And by the time my dad returned, so too was the RSJ that kept the bathroom on the first floor on the first floor. My instinct uh, to get the wall down was great, but my method uh, and my self-reliance in doing so were slightly more problematic. Dad had to go back to B&Q and get some jacks and some fence posts, and eventually all was good. Unfortunately, though, that can be my approach to things, not just uh, in building works, but uh, also in my own life as well, in my own faith. Uh, when I come up against problems or struggles or anxieties or, or doubts or disappointment, when there's walls in front of me, I just want to crack on and do all I can to get through them, rather than trusting in my Father in heaven to come and take the walls down with me. I tend to crack on, too reliant on self, uh, and typically it doesn't work very well. Either the walls don't come down, or, or it's messy, uh, and it's unsafe for others. Someone at the door. <laughs> I'm sure for uh, it's amazing when someone's preaching how much interesting everything else becomes, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sure for us, individually and collectively, we face things, maybe you are right now, that just seem like solid walls blocking your way, things that you've maybe lived with for a while, things that you've prayed for, for God to do something with. But right now, they just keep kind of being walls in the way for you. Things that we know need to come down in our lives in order for us to move forward. But there they are. So this morning, I want to look at how and where do we find the strength necessary how uh, we see those walls come down. Where do we find the strength 
necessary to see that happen. And last week, we started a series in the book of Joshua uh, called Be Strong. And we looked at how we can grow a strong faith. How can we grow a stronger faith together? And we talked about how we need to capture a vision from God, how we need to spend time comprehending his love, how we need to commit to living a life more like Jesus, and how we need to allow the Spirit to compel us to go. If we do those things, we will find our faith grows stronger. This week, we join Joshua and the Israelites who have escaped with Moses from Egypt through the Red Sea, and after 40 years of wandering around in the desert, they've finally crossed the Jordan into the promised lands. And so we join them today in Joshua 5 and 6 in the classic Sunday school story of the impregnable and the impossible to breach walls of Jericho. You see, the road to the promised land led straight through Jericho. Jericho is the lowest city on earth. It's way below sea level. As you come into the Jordan Valley, Valley, the city of Jericho was built as the kind of gateway to the whole of Canaan. There was no just skirting around the edge. There was no nipping around the long way. You had to go through Jericho if you wanted to get to the promised land. And the point here is that Jericho symbolizes everything that stands between the Israelites and all God had promised. Its walls are a vivid image and a picture of apparent impossibilities that block the way. These walls in Jericho represent such an impossibility to breach that the only way they were ever going to fall was through having a strong faith in a strong God. And this is a story that encourages us that when Jesus leads, even if it's the Old Testament, we'll come on to this at the end, that when Jesus leads, then the walls come down. But before we get to the walls coming down in chapter 6, I just want to back up a bit into the end of chapter 5. So we're going to read Joshua 5, 13 uh, to 15. I think it should come up on the screen as well. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Here, I think we come to the first principle of how we allow Jesus to lead us and see the walls come down. How do walls come down? Well, Hebrews 11.30, when it recounts this story, Hebrews in the New Testament, looking back at the heroes of faith, it just simply says that by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. And so we're going to look at four principles this morning that reveal something of how God works with and through his people in all generations. Four principles of how when we allow Jesus to lead, the walls come down. And so in Joshua 5, 13 to 16 there, I think we have our first principle of how we allow Jesus to lead and see the walls come down around us. And the first principle is this. It's not all about you. 
It's not all about us. Joshua 5, 13 here. Joshua sees this armed man coming towards us. And his natural instinct as a leader of an army, as someone about to go into battle, is to go, whose side are you on? Joshua's up for a fight. If he's an enemy, Joshua has no problem, I suspect, in dealing with him there and then. But equally, if he's on his side, that gives him a bit of a boost. It gives him more army to lay siege to Jericho. Whose side are you on? It's a natural question. I think we all ask it. Are you uh, with us or are you against us? Whose side are you on? And the reply Joshua gets is a slightly odd one. Neither is the reply he gets. There's a story that someone once asked uh, President Lincoln if he thought God was on the Union side in the Civil War. And Lincoln wisely replied, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. But you see, we're conditioned to think of us versus them. Are you leave or remain? Not that it matters now anyway. Are you Tory or Labour? Are you Arsenal or Tottenham? And of course, who said Tottenham? And of course, through history, there's a much darker, more sinister side of this us versus them. And it's even crept into the church. Why do you think we have so many denominations? Jesus sees one church, and yet we've fractured into so many us and them. And we're not just conditioned to think us versus them, but we're also conditioned to think that whatever side we're on must be the right side. But neither is the reply that Joshua gets. But instead he gets this reply. As commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. There's no them, there's no us. This isn't about you, Joshua. This is about God. It's not about sides. It's about my kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And I say my kingdom there because most commentators think that this commander of the Lord's army is a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus. Some suggest it's an angel, but we see later Joshua worships, bows down and worships this commander of the Lord army. We know from elsewhere that angels don't receive worship due to God. And so this looks like a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus. Joshua's response when reminded, it's not about you, Joshua, but there's a bigger thing going on here. His immediate response is to fall face down in worship, to realize all the time he's been in God's presence and maybe not noticed it, to to redefine what was a whacking great problem of, of land to cross and walls to knock down. Suddenly, those things that were a whacking great problem suddenly get redefined as holy ground. Worship will change our perspective and remind us it's not about us, but it's all about him. And that changes Joshua's question. He asks, uh, he doesn't ask the messenger, how can we win the battle? He doesn't ask the messenger, please can you break down the walls? No, he gets a perspective bigger than him. As he comes face to face with the Lord of the universe, his perspective is suddenly Enlarged, and he asks a better question than he was going to ask before. 
And as we read on into Joshua 6, we see that he gets a better answer. You see, when God's work is done in God's way, we will see God's blessings. That's one of the key messages that comes through Joshua time and time again. When, we, when we, God's work is done in God's way, that's when we'll see God's blessing. Or to put it another way, when Jesus leads the wall, that sounded very Pentecostal, didn't it? When Jesus leads, can I have an amen? Yes, when Jesus leads, the walls come down. So as a church right now, Shekinah, one wall that has been in front of us has not been having a home. Uh, sorry, I've lost it. So as a church right now, one wall that's been in front of us the whole time has not been having a home, a place that we can kind of be based from, from which to go out. And as we finally prepare to move into the salt house, it would be easy for us all just to be focused on that. But we need to remember as a church, it's not all about us. I suspect you know that more than I do. It's not all about us. And we need to be zooming out into God's perspective. And there's two reasons for this. Firstly, how sad would it be for the vision to be about getting into a building where God, uh, being the end of it? How sad would it be if we got there on Easter Day and went, hey, party, and then we kind of relaxed, like vision done? How sad would that be when God has a much, much bigger vision for us to see churches planted and lives and communities radically transformed? That's the first reason. The second reason is that with only five weeks to go, if it's just about us, we could get pretty overwhelmed with the task ahead of us. Yes, we're very nearly there on phase one, but right now, as it stands, we're going to have to take out a 60,000 loan in order to make that happen, and that still leaves us short to fit out a kitchen and in addition, we desperately need uh, another 10,000 right now to be able to bring a room into play that's going to be big enough for our growing youth on a Sunday morning. Toby and Emma are doing a great job with our young people. And the room we were going to kind of accommodate them in temporarily is too small now. Uh, we didn't have a big enough vision, clearly. Uh, and then there's the 560K, the small matter of that, which will get us upstairs. And that's before we even begin at looking at planting locally, hopefully later this year, and then planting Matt out to Grimsby again in 2021. And that's before we even begin to look at our city and realize just how many people need to know Jesus, need his freedom, need his salvation. It would be so easy just to be overwhelmed if it was all about us. But thankfully, it's not. You know, God has far much more skin in the game than we do. And so when we're up against walls, our first response isn't to panic. Our first response isn't to plan. Our first response isn't to kind of batten down the hatches. Our first response always needs to be worship. It's worship that makes the difference. It's worship that gives us perspective. It's worship that sees walls come down. It's worship that sees funding released. It's worship that will ultimately see uh, men and women set free from addictions, from depressions, from all kinds of things as they acknowledge and know Jesus as Lord. As we worship, we say, Jesus leads, not me. And so the walls come down. On an individual level, the same thing is true as well. Whatever wall you're facing, realize there is a bigger 
picture out there. And I don't mean that in the glib sense of, oh, there's always someone worse off than you. Get a big I don't mean it like that. What I mean is that God has more skin in the game for your life than you have. God has got it under control. And your response is always worship. Because it's through worship you'll see walls come down in your life. The second principle I want to look at is stick to the plan. I'm not good at this. Stick to the plan. If I see a recipe on the rare occasion I cook, I don't want to follow the recipe. I want to try a bit of this and a bit of that, and it never ends well. But a principle here in Scripture is stick to the plan. You see, all too often we have a plan, and then we ask God to bless it, rather than asking God the plan and then having the blessing that comes with it. I just want to read Joshua 6, first few verses. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. So march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them, sound a long blast on the trumpets. Make all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. Let's face it, they are odd instructions for a battle plan. Before, though, we look at this plan, let's just stop for a moment. I just don't want us to skip over verse 2. It says this, Then the Lord said to Joshua, and it's easy to gloss over that and get straight into the plan and work out the details, but let's not lose sight of the fact that Joshua needed to hear a plan in the first place. And let's not lose sight of the fact that we have a Lord who speaks to us. Then the Lord said, spoke, shared, communed with Joshua. The fact that an almighty God, who it says flung stars into space, communicates with Joshua, will communicate with each one of us, is mind-blowing. We just take it for granted. But before we get on to sticking to the plan, let's recognize we have a God who loves to give us a plan, to communicate, to share his heart for us. Joshua could just ignore God and, and go with a good military strategy. But he doesn't. He listens to God's plan. And God, you see, could just crack on as well without Joshua. He doesn't uh, need us, but he wants to use us. He wants relationship. He wants to guide, to encourage. The, the issue wasn't whether God was speaking. The issue was whether Joshua was listening. Maybe in our lives, the issue isn't whether God is speaking to you. The issue is whether you're listening. And worship is what prepared Joshua's heart to hear from the Lord. If you're up against a wall, don't do it alone. Don't do it in your own strength. But commune with God. Worship God. And let that be your first reaction, not your last resort. Joshua has a choice. And as he relays it to the Israelites, they too have a choice. God's plan or our own plan. After, after all, the Joshua plan doesn't seem promising. You're going to march, 
you're going to blow a few horns and, oh yes, this is the, this is the cherry on the cake, you're going to shout. It's lining up to be one of the greatest military blunders ever. Even with the fragile state of St. Swithin's building, I don't think it would shift a millimeter if we did this. And so they face a choice. Let Joshua, let Jesus lead, or do what makes sense. I remember someone was reminding me the other day, uh, a few years ago we bought a car, and it was the first automatic car that I'd ever had, I'd ever driven. Now, I'd been driving for several years. I know how to drive. I've been experienced. How hard could it really be to go from a manual to an automatic? That should be easier, right? I know what to do. I know how to get good results from the car I'm driving. But the problem was I knew too well uh, how to drive a car. I had a muscle memory and a natural instinct that was used to driving a manual car. And that, in this case, proved to be wrong and the opposite of what was needed. We'd gone to pick up the car as we pulled out the garage, went into first gear, absolutely fine. I let the car take care of that. As we needed to then go into second gear, not fine. The car was automatic. It had it covered. I was still driving manual. And so as I went to put my foot down on the clutch to go into second, the clutch that wasn't there, I hit the brakes. Uh, Vicky might have commented at that point. I made a mental note. Uh, I have to learn a different way of being here. No big problem. It's, it's obvious. It's just don't put your foot down. So back into first, fine. Changing to second this time. Good. All going well. Time for third. Down goes my foot. The brakes slam on. Vicky might have said something a little bit stronger at that point. No worries. Lesson learned. Back into first, second, third, fourth. Straight onto the slit road, onto the A road that would take us back home. 40 miles an hour, ready to slip to fifth as I approach 50 miles an hour. Down goes the foot. The brakes slam on. I gave my two kids at the time the gift of whiplash. And Vicky might have sworn at that point and uh, taken over the driving. We made it home in one piece, as did our marriage, just. But the next few times I drove, I did so with a piece of rope tying my left foot to the chair. For the next two weeks, it hurt to put socks on because of the rope burns on my ankle. <laughs> now, it sounds obvious when we say stick to the plan. God's plan is the best. God knows how to drive, even if it seems unusual or odd or new to us. But it's hard to stick to God's plan because we have so much muscle memory in us. We've got so many learned behaviors, so much pride, so much sin that easily entangles that means sticking to the plan is harder than it looks and takes a real discipline and in some cases serious measures to be able to walk in a way different from our own. Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It's only when Jesus leads that the walls come down. We've seen that with the Salt House. You know, even before the church roof fell in, we, we felt as a staff team, I think Beth was the first one, she had this word that that place would be a place that God wanted us to be. And, and then the roof came down, and we were like, we started looking into it seriously, and we were told it's going to be made into student flats. There's no way. Deal's done. There's no way you're going to get in there. But we kept praying, and more than that, actually, this passage, someone, I can't remember who, had a word from this passage to say we should walk around it like they walk around the walls 
of Jericho. And so for a couple of weeks, we did just that every day, just walking round. And here we are, months later, and the walls, in a sense, have fallen. It's a stupid plan. We want that building, let's walk around it lots of times. It's stupid. And yet, God's ways are different from our ways. Only this week, I mentioned to you, uh, we haven't got the money to kit out the kitchen, but only this week we got a phone call from uh, someone on the high street who's closing shop and just wondered if we'd like all their kitchen gear. Now, it's not totally 100% all we need, but it's a massive dent in what we need. We were busy making plans. How are we going to raise money? What grants can we apply for? Who can we approach? God already had another plan through another Christian who happened to own a business who wanted to bless what we were doing. What plans are you making at the moment and asking God to bless? Can I suggest we take some time to discover his plans and then resist the urge to default back to our way of doing things? That's the second principle. The third principle, remember the promise. Remember the promise. I don't know if you picked up on it. Joshua 6 verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Joshua has not even gone up to the walls of Jericho yet. And yet God says, I have delivered. Not I will deliver or I'm going to deliver. He says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. It's already sorted. When God speaks, you can cash the check. G- Joshua knew God had promised And so his job then was simply to obey. We looked last week at how God had promised Joshua several times, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so Joshua stands on that promise. As we go on in that chapter, verse 6, Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and make seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Throughout this next few verses, the ark of the Lord gets mentioned time and time again. God hadn't just promised that he'd never leave them or forsake them. But the ark of the covenant was like the box, if you like, that signified that God's presence was with them. More than that, it kind of, that's where God's presence was. Was So not only does God promise, but as they march into battle, God puts himself right at the center. His presence is with them. It's not just an empty promise, but there's a visual reminder of that promise as they go into battle. The word Lord is used 16 times in this chapter alone. God was very much involved. His presence leads, and so the walls come down. The soldiers of Jericho, lost the battle before Joshua even took a step. They lost the battle the moment God got involved. Robert Morrison, I don't know if you've heard of him, he was the first Protestant missionary to China. And as he was on the ship making the long journey there, the captain of the ship, full of skepticism and mockery, asked him, what do you think you're going to do, convert China? No, came the reply. I don't think I'll ever convert China, but I think God will. That's the faith referred to in Hebrews 11.30 when it says, By faith, Joshua's walls, came, the walls of Jericho came down. What promises have been spoken over you? We've had loads spoken 
over the church that we've not seen quite come true yet. We had loads of pictures about trying lots of different keys. Year one, loads of pictures about keys trying lots of locks and none opening and then eventually one springing open. At the time we thought, what is that about? Now looking back, we know exactly what that was about. We had words about uh, it'd be a church that had the gestation period of an elephant, by which uh, we took that to mean, and I think that means that we wouldn't necessarily see explosive growth straight away, but gradually we'd see a longer kind of pregnancy before God came and then did something amazing. We've had words about preparing the nets because God will bring in a great catch. But what about you? What's the individual calling on your life? What are some of the promises that God speaks over your life? If you can't think of any, there's one already. We've said it. He will never leave or forsake you. There's loads more. What are those promises? Because those promises signify his presence with us. Principle number four, the last one. Keep the faith. Anyone like Bon Jovi? Keep the faith. Never give up. If we read on uh, in that chapter, we see that they march around the walls. They do everything God has told them to do. God could have brought down those walls in an instant. So why march around for six days and then on the seventh day make them do it seven times? Why? Because God uses us to accomplish his purposes. It seems that only Joshua had the full plan, the priests and the people perhaps just learning a day at a time what was coming next. So day one, let's march. And by the way, keep your mouth shut because that's what God said to do. And you can imagine them being gathered in the campfire after the first day going, "Um, so what's the plan tomorrow? Um, Same again? Wonder how that went down. And then next, the same. And then next day, the same. And then next day, the same. And then next day, the same. And then finally, on the seventh day, this time, guys, you get to do it again. Only this time, walk around seven times. Look on the bright side. At least you'll get your 10,000 steps in today. Then, blow your trumpets and shout. But sure enough, the walls came down. God himself gave the city of Jericho to Israel. He was the only one that could bring the walls down. And now he responded to their faith. I like to think of myself as a fairly typical bloke when it comes to doctors and uh, prescriptions and medical stuff. I deny stuff for ages. Then when I finally go and maybe I get prescribed antibiotics and the doctor always says, make sure you finish the course of antibiotics. And typically I miss a few in the first course. But when I start feeling better, I don't finish off so just happens to caught a GP's eye. Uh, I don't finish off the course of antibiotics, uh, which I feel fine, but they, they, you know, that's the thing, that you're meant to finish off the entire course, or the danger is you have a relapse. And in the same way here, Joshua had to follow God's instructions exactly. He had to complete the full course over seven days, because partial obedience is never enough. Dr. Boyce, in a commentary on Joshua, wrote this. Not only is there no substitute for obedience to God, there is no substitute for obedience in everything to the very end. And when God does not act as quickly as we think he should, or in precisely the way we're convinced he should act, we're still not justified in pulling back or adopting an alternative procedure. It was only when the people had obeyed God faithfully to the end that victory came. 
and the walls tumbled. That's faith. Obeying God, trusting God despite the circumstances, the doubts, the skepticism. When we let Jesus lead, the walls come down. J. Hudson Taylor, another missionary to China, he said this, There are three stages in any great task undertaken for God. Impossible, difficult, done. No one ever promised that the life of faith is easy. In fact, Jesus makes it quite clear it's the opposite. If you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. It's easy for disappointment to set in. It's easy for our enthusiasm to lag. It's easy to let our obedience wonder and skepticism to set in and doubt too. And so the danger in all that is that we reduce the level of faith to the level of our current experience rather than looking to see the level of our experience lifted to the level of what is possible through faith. There's many wars we face or will face and the bad news is they're often impossible to breach. But the good news is God's love, God's love to start with an impossibility. When he wants to do something big, he tends to start with something small. When he wants to do something miraculous, he tends to start with the impossible. We'd often rather say, go big or go home. But God builds up the mustard seed of faith and enables that to move mountains. It's easy for us to shrink back, to relax, to, to not kind of come up against the next wall and kind of think this is all God has for us. It's easy not to press through and to push on. And you see, the real battle of Jericho perhaps wasn't with the Canaanites at all. The real battle was with the people of God. Would they believe they had a strong God? Would they put their faith in him doing what he said he would do? Would they believe that God's work gets done in God's way? And that's how we receive God's blessings. Would they risk the danger, the humiliation, the disappointment if the walls didn't come down? We said last week that Joshua in Hebrew means God saves. In Greek, that's shortened to Jesus or Savior. The Old Testament Joshua points us to Jesus, who through his obedience to death, even death on a cross, saw the wall between man and God torn and leads us to victory. 1 Corinthians 15. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where a death is your victory, where a death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Hebrews 11. The walls fell by faith. How do we face and conquer our walls? By faith. How and where do we get that faith from? Well, Hebrews 11 moves on to Hebrews 12, which gives us the answer. Throw off everything that hinders. 
and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, the commander of the Lord's army, the captain of salvation. Keep your eyes on him. When Jesus leads, the walls come down. Amen. Let's stand together.